Hello and welcome to the Develop Podcast. I'm your host Ben Gilbert and in this podcast I speak with practitioners from across the world, bringing you insight into the international development sector. In this episode I'm speaking with Stanford Muzavazi, who works as the Community Engagement Strategist for the Africa Zone at the International Headquarters of the Salvation Army. Over the last 15 years, Stanford has worked in various roles from church level right the way through to the international headquarters and has a fascinating insight into our global approach to community development. Stanford, um, thanks so much for for coming. Thanks so much for for your time. Just give us a quick overview of your history with the Army. All right. No, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, It's it's a a pleasure to be here and uh, I always enjoy opportunities to to share and discuss elements about the mission and the work that we do in, in local communities. I started working for the Salvation Army in 2004 in Zimbabwe. I was uh, employed in the youth department, but the idea was to work alongside the youth. Uh, it was in the high time of HIV in Zimbabwe. So we were having a lot of uh, child-aided families in the country. The numbers of, of orphan children was, was growing, so the youth department was making a response of uh, getting communities and getting young people to do something about that in their local context. Moved, I think, after two years to to be like a territorial facilitation team coordinator in the territory. This was to expand it from just a youth movement, but also to a, to a movement for, for all soldiers in the Salvation Army in Zimbabwe. Uh, did that uh, between 2006 up to 2008. I, I received a call from the TC, she said. she. She wants to send a young person to South Africa for a six-week program in local communities in Cape Town. So I went to South Africa in uh, 2009 for six weeks in Cape Town. I was in a place called Bonteville, which was like uh, huge with uh, like local gangs uh, at the time and drugs uh, was a was a big issue. So our idea, and the idea was that we were supposed to work with this core to 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 really engage with the local community around these issues of drugs. It was the longest six weeks that I've ever been to. Yeah, it, was, it was a little bit scary. Um, like it was a community where people could just easily shoot each other. And, and, and for me, that was a completely new you know, environment to be. We needed to be careful how we spoke to people. We needed to, to be careful how we went into homes during that time. Um, we really need to show, we needed to show that we are neutral. We are not part of any gang. We are not part, we are not siding with any gang. Um, so it was quite, it was, I think, the most difficult six weeks for me. But I, again, I learned a lot of things out of that. Uh, we were interacting with the division of Bomanda in that place. And after the six weeks, he asked me, what am I doing? I said, no, I, he asked me if I wanted to come back because I was looking for a person to work at DHQ in, in this area as well. I went home, I spoke to my parents. They were happy for me to leave the country. But at the time, like Zimbabwe was also get, was into a lot of uh, political and economic challenges. A lot of people were leaving the country. And I felt for me, I was beginning to feel the same way, uh, just that I was waiting also for, for the for the right place to do that. And I felt this was the right place. I, I had something meaningful and purposeful to go to uh, and, and, and do. So I went to Cape Town, now working with that community and other communities that were in that division. Uh, and Cape Town is quite unique in that you have got a lot of inequality that happens in the city. Uh, so I did that between 2009 up to 2013. Um, THQ was looking for a project officer. Uh, I felt it was time to, to grow and also time to contribute on a, on a much bigger lens. So I, I applied for the, 
for the for the responsibility went through the the recruitment process. Uh, so 2013 I started. I was a project officer up to the end of 2017 uh, when I moved to to the UK and started in this job in in, in 2018. In my job now, I work as a community engagement strategist. I I coordinate an Africa capacity building program that is meant to come alongside territories in Africa, or 17 of them, in in developing capacity for for, for doing uh, development at local core level, but also at country level. So I've been doing this for the past three and a half years now. Yeah, over 15 years of working with the Salvation I'm at a core level, DHQ, THQ, uh, and now International Aid Office. So I've, I've been privileged to, to have these opportunities. It's amazing, Stanford. I mean, you like just as you're explaining kind of your history with the Salvation Army, you know, you've had an amazing experience at core level, community level, and then divisional level, then THQ, and now you're working in the Africa Zonal Office at the international headquarters. You've seen the army in all these different perspectives and all these different uh, levels uh, and worked across them all, not only just kind of visiting, but actually being part of the the structure which has been working in those different capacities. So one of the questions I've you know, been asking and, and often people looking at the Salvation Army, depending on where they are in the world, um, they might see it as a church or they might see it more as a charity, depending on someone looking at us and the work that we're doing in, in the different countries that the, the army is based. Mm. Now, often those two parts are, are mixed, the charity side of the Salvation Army and the church side of the Salvation Army work hand in hand together. How have you seen that play out in your various different roles? What does that look like for the Salvation Army in different country contexts? I think it's it's amazing to observe. Uh, but but maybe before I kind of explain how I've seen it, uh, for me, like I'm not bothered when when people who are outside the Salvation Army see us in one way or the other. I think my worry comes when people who are within as either either soldiers or employees confuse that. I think that's that's where that's where a bit of a disaster comes. Having grown in Zimbabwe. The culture in Zimbabwe was more on the evangelical side. Uh, what I mean about that was more on the traditional Salvation Army side of you go and do open air ministry with the hope of getting people saved, and then they march back with you to the core, and then they get into the recruit class, and they get into a brigade, and then they become part of the core, and they begin to attend uh, services and other programs that are happening. I did not feel uh, the sense of anything beyond that. Yes, if they, if someone is is not feeling well, uh, we would go to the hospital or to their home to pray with them. Uh, if someone has passed away, we will go to the funeral. If there's a wedding, we'll go to attend the wedding. But I, I thought the relationship was more based on the on the spiritual elements of that journey more than the, the, both the human and the, and, the, and the spiritual. This is my experience at a core level, to a point where I felt like if someone chooses to go to a different church, for example, the Methodists from the Salvation Army, the relationship stops right there. And, and it was very, it, it broke my heart most of the time to see that, that our relationship was only because that we are attending the same church. It, it wasn't going, going beyond that. It was not really knowing what people are going through 
every day of their lives. Everyone looked happy. We're all in the same, looking the same, wearing the same uniform. But I always believe that that is not the clear situation and the clear uh, culture of that. Um, and, and I saw this when, when we were in this local call. As young people, we had a bit of time in our hands, so we formulated a group with my friends. We, we called it Joy Ministries. Uh, so it was a gap of high school and looking for opportunities for uh, tertiary education or employment. Uh, and, and would spend a lot of time visiting people in their homes. Uh, when we hear someone is not feeling well, and, and would hear more than the, the illness itself. And would hear a background of how the illness started that the rest of the church would not be uh, aware of. And would hear this in these informal places and informal conversations. And I realized that there's more to it than, than what we are by having. But the strange thing, like in terms of numbers, salvation in Zimbabwe is, is one of the biggest. It was growing. But the growth was based mostly on, on people who are related to existing soldiers already. If I get married, then my wife, if she wasn't a salvationist, then she comes a salvationist. Uh, probably your brother joins and all that. That's how kind of it was expanding. It was not built on on the actual identification of new people completely in most of the places. Then I go to South Africa. It was a different context. Um, it, it seemed to me the South Africa, the church was only introduced as one way. We are here to help you. So I was very surprised to see people knocking on the door of the officers asking for food and they just go uh, or asking for clothing and they just go. In Zimbabwe, people actually took things to the, ch to the church uh, uh, to support the officer. Uh, in South Africa, people were coming to ask for help uh, in, in that sense. Um, so, so for me, it was completely different context. But these countries are just next to each other. It's all Africa zone. Uh, it's all the Salvation Army. So it was quite amazing to to see this um, in in that way. I got an opportunity to go to America for for two weeks when I was working in Cape Town, and they are so completely different context as well. I felt like the the local churches, the ministry was quite expanded, was bigger. That was what was happening at the core. Uh, so there was the element of coming to church on Sunday, but the uh, element of a thrift shop. Uh, there was an element of a food bank and all that. So it was a com again a completely different context uh, in, 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 in that sense. So I think it looks quite different in most of the places. Um, I just feel the message of, of what it is to be a soldier and to fight means when it comes to, to justice to restoration, uh, to community and all that. I just feel that 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 is dropped in a few places uh, to really for, for soldiers to understand that most soldiers are happy to go on a Sunday, have a good place at time, go back home, wait for the next Sunday, or come during the week for a prayer meeting uh, and the Bible study or practice. But, but in terms of the sufferings of what is happening around their neighborhood and the it's not taken as part of the soldiership journey in most places. That I think for me that is what worries me more than anything when it comes to the identity. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. I and mean, just just the different context that you've seen um, in your your own journey with the Salvation Army. Um, the Salvation Army is involved, as you say, in these very local kind of responses to community, and you know just and that's kind of happens kind of out of sight of. IHQ or other territories because it's kind of just going on um, yeah. but where there is international funding or another territory which is supporting a program or a project 
in a country like South Africa or another another territory around the world. We have this formalized kind of system of, of and process for these projects to go through. And in some of those internationally funded projects, a large number of them try to utilize the core structure, the core personnel, the, the Salvation Army infrastructure as much as possible within these territories. How do you see that working for these kind of kind of formal internationally funded projects? How, how do you see that process working um, and what are the strengths and maybe the challenges of working in that way? Um, I, I think I say the same concern that uh, General Cox said in 2018 when he has just become a, a, a general. He said, um, we have become accustomed. I, I, I'm not I probably not caught it as it was like we have become accustomed to being an institution. And then by that, we have then lost the the, the, the founders vision of, of being on, on uh, in local communities. There is nothing wrong with development. There's nothing wrong with huge funding. I, I think the pro is, is the process of how then do we incorporate all the elements of what we are doing. Uh, I, I have seen both scenarios where huge funds have just come in, no connection to the core. What then that does is that the core becomes part of the beneficiary and they lose being the soldiers. So they become part of the disadvantaged. They see the need in themselves more than the need to safeguard the community and save the community. Uh, I, I, I may not really explain this, but I, I can see this picture, because I've seen it in most places, where it can easily destroy being soldiers, being ready to fight, not about ourselves. So, And our soldiers need to understand that development and funding that is huge is supporting the journey that they are already in. I'm realizing that there are challenges that at local communities, even if people want to solve them, they can become too huge for them. Then that's when development is to come in. For example, I've seen in situations where a community um, identified orphan children who were in the community, staying there, they were there, but a conversation happened. Everyone was brought in. And the, real, and, and the children were also there. And they said that the, the biggest challenge that they are facing today is that their houses are not adequate. Right? So most of them stayed in one kind of temporary shelter uh, made of plastic. Secondly, they did not have a monthly consistent uh, uh, um, access to food. Thirdly, they did not have uh, access to uniforms and, and, and school fees. And I, and I was part of this community that was discussing this. It was a rural community. And I saw a community writing down a, a, a timeline of how this was going to be solved. What was going to start? We we're going to start with building decent houses. And they were going to be built in the same way that people build their houses anyway. Each community member had to volunteer. He also had to bring something to contribute. So someone would bring sticks, someone bring poles, someone bring cement, someone bring roofing material. Right? And, and every Saturday, a new house was built in that community for orphan children. Then the following thing, someone had to volunteer that when we buy groceries in our family, we're going to buy extra, then we'll share with this, with this, with this uh, children and another family did that. But when it goes to school fees, the community realized that 
this is a constant need. Right. And the salvation army that was present in the meeting said, we will talk to the child sponsorship department in our THQ, give them the list of these children. And it came, it did not disrupt, disrupt the community. Right. So everyone had a piece to play. The community did what they could at the time. And what was not what they were not able to do, the resource was was brought in. So the first of the people who sponsored this was not known. The community thought this was one program. So salvation I'm mentioning this in the meeting was not to solve the issue, was mentioning a resource that is available. The same way that someone had mentioned the resource of polls that they had in their house. So, so it puts everyone at the same level and the same at the same picture. Then I show a situation where a project officer walks into a province, decides what is the problem, speaks to a donor, and between the two of them, resolve this. And everyone in the community, including the soldiers, set as beneficiaries, disempowered, although the problem was being solved, but they actually did not feel like they participated in the process. Right, so each time a ball broke down, they had to wait for the salvation army to come and fix it. So, so it's those it's those elements. I, I, when I was in South Africa, we went to a province and we had seen on the news that in the main city of that province, uh, uh, communities had gone for two months without access to clean water. So I went with the disaster relief coordinator as a project officer, and we went around the community. We were making notes, polls, what is needed in this community. But the following day, we gathered all the leaders of the community and we had a meeting and said, no, we are salvation. I mean, the divisional commander actually gathered them. She's the one who had actually invited us to that. But it was amazing that everything shifted. As soon as we said, we saw this and they said, yeah, but actually this is a temporary issue. We don't have water for the past two months because our reservoir is fixing. We are working towards fixing that. But if you go 10 kilometers further from where we are, is the rural part of the province. For the last 20 years, they don't have clean water. This is where the need is. So, so it really completely changed the whole picture of, of, of it. But we could have easily broke, come up with, with bowls in this province. And after two months, the reservoirs finished, the bowls are useless. Those people are not getting water in there. So, so I think it's about realizing that conversations has to be led by local cause, local divisions and THQs to really identify what is the need. Then know the right places to bring in expert help or to bring in additional funds to that. To that. There shouldn't be a conflict. There shouldn't be a fight. It's just understanding what comes and what follows and when does it come so that it doesn't disrupt uh, uh, the process. I know it's not. It's easier said than done. Understanding that there's pressure in terms of probably available funds that needs to be used in a certain way in a certain period of time and all that, and sometimes it then creates creates challenges. So, I see the the international development part of the Salvation Army, you know, with several territories involved with funding other programs in other territories. That in itself has come up on a journey, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years, you know, from very small, independent kind of just you know one-off projects and a limited number of funding now to a point where our project offices around the world are developing and growing, I would say. Do you see that as a risk to undermine some of the things that you're talking about in terms of ownership right down at the core level? Or is there something, is there a way of maintaining that and making sure that 
the key fundamental principles of those relationships and that ownership of a core involved in a in an action um, and being and actually feeling that they are part of the solution rather than just becoming a beneficiary, like you said. Like, do you think there's a risk of us undermining that if we, as we grow and as we expand and as we search for ever more amounts of funding or donors or whatever? Um, uh, the yes, but there is solutions. Uh, but before I respond to that, I, I would like to underline that there are massive economic and social challenges in the development world that require investment and huge investment. So, so, so I don't think we should feel bad about access to huge funds. It is required. Uh, there are children who have to walk 20 kilometers to a school. There are people drinking water from a river. There are people without adequate shelter. There are people uh, uh, without access to medical care. They feel pain in their stomach. They don't have access to go to a doctor to, to be checked on that. And those require huge investment in terms of resources. So as an organization, I don't think we should be worried that we have grown that and we are beginning to enter in those spaces. It is relevant. But but what, what we are missing at this point is that our project officers and development uh, personnel in the territories then, then begin to only focus on these big projects. But in my experience, I realized that whether I've got the projects or not, I'm still a development officer. My responsibility is to build capacity in local cause for them to be able to continue this relationship at local level. It then creates a platform for me as a development officer to come in because they're going to identify issues that they can deal with and issues that require bigger partnerships outside what they have. So if I, if I develop capacity of soldiers and officers to be able to have that continuous relationship where they are, and continuous discussions and continuous understanding that we are here to save source. It's a continuous process. And those who have decided to make the decision to, to accept Christ, we build their capacity to grow their relationship with Christ. But our response does not end there. We begin to meet the needs of suffering humanity, whether people have made a, a choice to join the church or to accept Christ, we still have got a responsibility to provide care for them. If that understanding and those skills are built in local cause, it means that we are constantly outside our building. And, and, and we are doing that with enough skills for our local soldiers and our cause to be able to really engage in honest ways, in-depth ways that then determines whether, when do we need additional resources? So for me, the, the missing piece is when we, we then forget about developing this capacity at local level and forgetting that most of the soldiers do not have the background of development uh, and community engagement that some of us have been exposed to. So they need to be made aware of this for them to actually be able to see how where it fits into the whole picture. It's not about just repeating the mission statement, but it's about actually showing clearly how this is supposed to work. So, so I think a risk we emerge if the development officer then forgets the divisions and the cause in this process and focuses on saying, okay, there's 500,000 available, which province do I place it? Right, so say, and, and then they say, we've got 500,000, can we come and do something with it there and all that? And then I think the conversation becomes, but if there are already existing conversations around, around the territory, when 500, no, opportunity for 500,000 US dollars arises, you know already where this might actually play because there's a need communicated already. So in this situation that I was giving you, it was actually in South Africa in a province called Northern KwaZulu. 
and when an opportunity for a water and sanitation project came about, we knew where we placed that uh, because there were ongoing conversations already. It's not that other provinces did not have the lack of water, uh, no, but they we thought it was much more relevant that we come into an already existing uh, conversation than to go to a different uh, place altogether. So for me, I don't see that as a disadvantage. It's just that we need to always have our eyes open to say how do we bring in all key stakeholders into that into 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 that conversation? How do we take advantage of the already existing conversations uh, in that process? Yeah, I, I really like what you're saying there, Stanford. That's it's the sensitivities to the existing conversations, you know, that are already taking place and making sure that that is those are supported and these and then these programs or projects come in just to provide support into those existing into that in existing conversation. That's that's a really helpful way of of illustrating it. The, the only huge risk is that when you're a development officer in, a, in an implementing territory, that you probably don't have enough resources to move around and do these processes if there's no project available. I think that's that's where that's where the problem comes. If it's not a if I don't have a project in a particular area, I can't just go there and engage and build this capacity in the course because of budget issues and, and, and stuff like that. But if that was built into the understanding that whether there's a big project or not, a development officer needs to be on the ground to build capacity for officers to say how do you work along? How do you, how is your conversations going? How are you supporting your local cause, your communities and all that? Uh, and, and and be able to, to identify where the gaps of resources are needed, then, then I, I think we'll, that risk will be removed from the table completely. And and one of the challenges as well, like from a donor perspective, uh, I, I sit in the UKI development office, one of the challenges we have is that a lot of the funds that we're presented with or that we're chasing have very specific requirements. Um, and that can be you know, trusts or corporate donors or government funding. It can also be from a core which has raised funds for, again, a very specific need or people who are perhaps outside of the country context, but have some idea of what's going on, but very specifically want their funds to be spent in a specific way. And then we end up trying to squeeze these projects into to, because they're demanding or they're basically satisfying the requirements of the donor. And I think that's where we run into all sorts of issues and and that where we can get into this this kind of pattern of overriding the existing conversations on the ground um you know for the sake of of availability of funds so it is a it's a complex picture isn't it it is i, I would i would say knowing how africa is set up uh, i would say there's no need that probably big donors or, or, or funders here that is not is not present in in the zone Somewhere, somehow, uh, the, the need is there. But also what I've realized, the more that you're building capacity at local level, uh, the more the needs emerge at the same time. So you might be stuck as a project officer with a situation of communities that have tried to move forward to a certain point based on the resources that they have. But for them to just get over uh, the step, uh, they require resources. So 10 of them are asking for the same support, but probably that is not what uh, funding that is available at that point is is being made for. So there, there are a lot of technicalities and difficulties around around that. Um, but for me, uh, it's 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 about honest conversation when when we are making decisions. If there was one thing that you wanted us as a Salvation Army internationally to stop doing, or one thing that we should do more of, what would that be? 
from your own experience and now sitting in the international headquarters, what, what would that one thing be for you? I think one thing that we need to do is to take time to understand uh, local context and situations before making decisions for people. I was driving with the, with the project advisor from one territory and we were passing through a rural area. So as we passed, we passed like a small bridge that was like next to the dust road. And the small, so, so the, the kids who were playing there were jumping into this dirty water from this small bridge, laughing and being happy. And and the project advisor from one of the uh, supporters says, oh, that is what life is all about. Look at the happiness on their faces. And in my context, I had jumped in these dead waters before. They had given me uh, uh, waterborne diseases before. I did not jump in there because it was happiness. It was because that was the only solution for us to have fun at the time with the dream of having a swimming pool in mind that we do not have access to. So I realized that our context can easily, looking at the same thing, our context can easily be different. But then if, if, if the project advisor was then going to make a decision, she was probably going to expand this uh, this pool because the children are smiling. But for me, no, they're smiling, yeah, because that's the only thing that's available. But if they have access to a clean swimming pool, they will never jump into this water again. It's a totally different context. So for me, I think we need to take time to, to really expose ourselves to, to, to the local context and the countries that we we, we want to, that we work with. We shouldn't just make our visits and our discussions more about work. We, we should we should learn from each other. In my context, you can, I, I've learned this, having been exposed to, to various places. I, I went to Switzerland uh, and, and learned that people go to a meeting 15 minutes before, so that exactly on time, when it's 10 o'clock, they start at 10 o'clock. But I'm coming from a context that someone begins to bath at 10 o'clock so that they come to a meeting at 10 o'clock, right? <laughs> so I cannot continue my African time in Switzerland, otherwise I'll miss out on, on the meeting. Uh, so, so both of us, I think, in, 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 in the developed world and the development world, we need to realize that I think we need to build relationship and understanding beyond just the project that we are talking about. We need to understand each other's context and what it means. Right? So right now you have development officers in Africa or in, in Asia who may not understand why you really need a report. <laughs> Because they understand, they don't understand the context that there's a big donor and, and right that that fits into the whole picture and that can give you a really bad record. So it's 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 for me. I think we need to to build relationships even amongst ourselves uh, of of learning each other's context, of learning each other's understanding of how are we partnering together, of actually not seeing each other as, as superior or victims, uh, but seeing each other as, as partners and wanting to see change and quality change and improved life uh, for everyone across the world. For me, for me, that needs to be something that we need we need to constantly dig in and, and do. Um, a few, uh, it sometimes comes from a good place, but at some point we may need to distract the idea of developing and developed and formulate an idea of where do we need to get everyone together and not see each other based on our current circumstances. You you have development officers who can agree to a project officer an idea just because they want the funding, but they know this is not going to work. And we just need to break all those uh, things and being in a place where we are partnering together.
and be able to be on the same level and agreeing this works, this doesn't work. This is how we go about this. This is how we need to improve this area together at the partnership level. For me, that is that is equal and no one dominating uh, um, in that sense. Um, for there are the other nitty gritties that come that like you are working with the development office that yes, computers are they working with 15 years ago. That shouldn't be right. Because the same report that you want to read is the report that is coming from that computer that switches off after every five minutes. They don't have access to internet. When they leave the building to go to the field, you can't get out of them for two weeks. If we are working as partnership, that shouldn't be that shouldn't be right, right? We shouldn't we shouldn't we shouldn't access that. Someone can easily visit a country, uh, but but this other person who is working there doesn't have an idea of the context outside where they are. You, you we really need to, to maintain them. The things that helped me is being exposed to various environments and various people, and and I think it brings a certain level of learning that you won't, you won't get in a university, in any tertiary institution. You 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 learn by just observing, and by just being there, you begin to learn. So I think it's something that the Salvation Army needs to invest in. I don't know if there are budgets for that where people just really spend time together. If it was up to me, I, I, I would want to bring project officers from, from, from Africa to come for two weeks to the UK office. Without UK office changing its program, but just showing them how you work on daily basis uh, without accommodating them, right? Like we're not putting a program because of visa. We're just showing how systems and operations work, how decisions are made, how things how things are structured and why they're structured in this way. It gives a completely different 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 perspectives. In the same way that if someone wants to come to an African context and really know what it means to walk 20 kilometers to school every day, what 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 does actually that mean? How does it impact on the on the child every day? How does it impact on the results at the end of the year? How does that impact on your behavior? And on your future as you go, it just really have a clear picture of of, of that. We will all, I think, we will all achieve much more things than 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 we are achieving today. Uh, I, I know I've put in a lot of things in there, but but for me, when I look, the picture is just so spread and mixed to a point that we just need to collect together a few things and really be partners in every sense of the word. Absolutely, you're so right because it's um it's about learning to listen actually and and being willing to listen and what you say observe. And just be rather than do do do, you know. And um, and I think the same thing when when us from the UK, for example, go to another territory for one week or two weeks or even three weeks. Like, how do we know that we're actually seeing day in life or regular routine there? It's fair you don't in that short period of time, especially as you go in from an outside territory. It's often you know a very planned visit with specific meetings that would only happen because you know, I'm there in the territory, for example. It's not a real snapshot. It's not a real picture of, of the everyday life. So understanding each other's context, I think, is a is a great takeaway. And I think something that we can all, all work on more. But it's been a pleasure talking to you, Stanford. Really interesting. And I think you have such a unique insight into the international work of the, the Salvation Army. And thank you very much for sharing. Uh, thank you so much. I think it's a privilege to be part of this uh, international movement. Um, I think we get to learn a lot. We get to be part of uh, huge uh, changes that are happening in people, in communities, and across the world. So, thank you for the, thank you for this opportunity and for this time to share. As always, you can find out more information on our website. Follow the links in the information we've posted on this episode. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. 
Follow and subscribe for news of upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening.